I read a story recently about uh, a man who was admitted to a psychiatric hospital, and he was swinging wildly as he was being admitted. I mean, he was just out of control, uh, as you might expect in some, some kind of a situation, out of control, swinging wildly. They started to have to take things out of the way, like lamps and tear, tables and tears, because everything swinging wildly, grabbing, throwing, things like that. However, there was one thing they couldn't figure out, they couldn't get. He had, he had his fist closed very tightly. And they, he would not let go. He was swinging wildly, would not let go of what was in his fist, this tightly clenched fist. Took two people to unclench the fist, and all that was in there simply was a, was a coin. As if, as if letting go of that coin, the, last, the person's last possession, or at least his perception of his last possession, as if letting go of that coin would be somehow letting go of his very identity. It was the last thing he was clutching onto. The last possession he thought was giving him some degree of identity, worth, or value. And we read that story and we feel sad for that guy or other people who might in that situation. But the reality is, my guess is if God could animate our hearts in his eyes, we're doing the very same thing. When we clutch on to things that we think are so important and so valuable and so crucial and central to my identity... This is who I am. This is my plans for my life. These are my plans and my dreams. And so God sometimes sees us as these psychotic kind of flailers who just want God to leave us alone because I got everything but this. You better not touch this, God. And sometimes God will pry and get it out, but often he just lets us alone. And we spend a lot of our lives clutching onto something that we think gives us value, gives us worth. And we live our lives that way and really aren't, don't become the whole people that God intended for us to be. Um, I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's probably more autobiographical of me than I'd care to admit, that I, there are things I cling on to and say, God, you can make me better, get me better, make me whole, take my pro- these problems away, but I'm holding on to this. And we do that. We've been doing a series called uh, Stretching Beyond Comfort, Stretching Way Beyond Comfort. Because often the stretch that God asks of us is he asks us to let go of whatever we're clinging on to that we believe gives us meaning, identity, you know, future hope or whatever. And the stretch often is when God says, give me what's in your hand. And we're like, but God, you can have anything else, but please don't touch this. And we've, we've, we've become accustomed to living a life with a clenched fit fist in our heart. Maybe just a small corner, but it's still clenched around something that we're saying, God, you can have everything else, but I'm holding on to this because this gives me meaning, identity, or whatever else. And so the stretch way beyond comfort, the leap of faith that we've talked about in the last few weeks is sometimes the leap of faith is simply letting go of something you're holding on to tightly and having absolute trust that God's going to still take care of you. Next slide. We've been, uh, remember a few weeks ago, we start off the story of Abraham, where God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your country, leave your relatives, leave behind your family and go to the land I ask you to go to. Remember, there's this whole sense of anytime God's going to ask you to do something, it will have some sense of leave and go, leave and go. You're leaving something behind, maybe something you got to let go of in order to go leave and go. But he's doing that not simply because God loves to just to play chess with us. He's doing that because ultimately he says, I'm going to make you a blessing. 
to others. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing to others. There's something that God wants to release in you and through you if you just simply let go of and leave behind and then go into what he's asking you to do. But it's an incredible stretch of faith. It's an incredible risk, and it causes incredible amounts of fear. All right? That was Abram. Abram made that step. Next slide. This is just kind of review. So he was asked to go. He went from Ur, where he was, which is kind of modern-day Iran, Iraq. And God was saying, yeah, I'm going to bring you to the promised land, which is that, you know, modern-day Israel. I'm going to give you this land. Through your, through your descendants in this land, I'm going to bless the world. All right? Next one. So then Abraham is trying to figure Abraham had no children. He was 75 years old. He and Sarah had no children, no sons, no daughters. So Abraham, as we see in Genesis 15 to 18, Abraham thinks, okay, well, God must be Eleazar. He must be the way in which you're going to bring this about. Eleazar was Abraham's servant. So like we do often and like uh, we're prone to do is we try to figure out how to solve the dilemma of what God's dealing with. And okay, God, I'm going to have a descendants. I don't have any. It must be Eleazar. But God says, no. Your servant won't be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then he says, well, maybe it's Ishmael. Ishmael was a son he had through his servant, uh, his wife's servant, Hagar. With his wife's permission, he bears a child through this servant girl, this Ishmael, because he's thinking, well, maybe this is the way God's going to fulfill the promise. Because we don't like waiting. So we try to figure out, well, God must mean this. And then God says, no, no, it's not Ishmael either. Sarah, your wife's going to have a son. Abraham's nearly 100 years old by now, 25 years after the promise. And we don't like the waiting. I mean, 25 minutes is enough for us to wait for God, let alone 25 years. So then God says, no, Sarah's going to have a son. And then they have this son. Next slide. They have this son. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. All right, so I'm just kind of filling in the story a little bit. It's kind of like previously on 24 kind of thing, you know, if you know that show. Um, Next slide. Isaac's born. Isaac's the joy of his father's heart. He is the fulfillment of the promise. It's all he's, he left the land of his forefathers and went to this new land. And part of the promise was wrapped up in this child that he waited 25 years to have. And then God does this seemingly cruel, cruel joke, feels like, and says sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. And God said, Abraham, now go sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. And we talked about this last week, how if we read that story and don't do a flash forward and figure out how it ends and knowing how it ends, but if you just read the story as it unfolds, the emotional, spiritual trauma that must have been Abraham's, those three, three and a half days as he's walking from where he was to Mount Moriah where God had told him to do this. And just the, again, it's, it's, it was emotionally and spiritually traumatic. Go to the next slide there. And this is the picture I showed last week of, of somebody's rendition of Abraham and Isaac. And it's the, it's the view of the father kind of like calling his son to say, we, we have to go somewhere. And just the, the kind of resigned look of the, of the father kind of like, I, I got to let go of this thing that I love. Which again, is a picture that most of us can relate to with some issues in our hearts sometimes where you feel like God's asked you to leave something behind. All right, next one. They go, this is again, self review, and they go to the place they arrive where the mountain is, Abraham ties up his son Isaac. You know, I was thinking about this this morning when I was just pondering through this, and I thought, this was real rocks, real wood, real flesh, real rope. It was a real knife. This was not make-believe sacrifice. Abraham didn't know how the story was going to end. He had his guesses again. Maybe God's going to bring Isaac back to life. But at the moment where he has the knife in his hand and his love 
of his life, his son laying on an altar, um, bound up in rope that he had to tie his son up in, and all the probably confusion that his son was going through and how Abraham had to deal with that emotionally. And the next slide was a picture I showed last week from an Italian artist, and it's just the part of the picture where Isaac's face and the knife, and I'm not showing this, like I said last week, to traumatize you, but if we're honest, a lot of Scripture can be traumatic because what it does is it traumatizes our hearts. It's kind of like, God, how could you do I mean, it's an emotional place of our heart we don't want to go to because God surely can't be like that. So I, when I asked you last week to kind of hang on to that thought, knowing, you know, we know how the story ends, but I wanted you to hang on to that and just kind of to be continued to hang in the tension of what kind of God would ask Abraham to do that and what kind of faith does Abraham have? Is he, is he a crazy man? Or is he really the Hall of Fame, original inductee into the Hall of Faith Hall of Fame? Because he's one or the other. He can't be anything in between. He's either a nut, crazy man, wild man, or this is a kind of faith I have no idea what it's like. So then we go, now we finished previously. Now we go to the where we are now. At that moment, he has a knife in his hand. We don't know how far he was from striking his son with a knife, but it was within probably seconds. At the moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. And this is where Abraham was probably readily listening. Whoa, you know, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Exact same exchange that happened when God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Remember a few slides earlier, Abraham was tested by God. Abraham, Abraham, yes, here I am. Same reply, yes, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Go to the next one. Then Abraham looked up and saw caught by its horn in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in a place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. This is the original promise God given, but he's confirming it again. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. All right, now, and then the last part. Then they returned to the servants and tra- with the servants and traveled back to Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. Now, just think about this for a second. It's kind of like, oh, and then life goes on. I mean, it's kind of like, did he tell Sarah what happened? Did Isaac not talk to him for weeks or months? Did Isaac have, you know, therapeutic help sometime? But it's like, life was never the same for Abraham, was it? Not... Not relationally. I'm sure Sarah and Isaac got over or whatever. You know, they had a sense that maybe God was really in this. But life was never the same for Abraham after this moment. Because no longer did he clutch anything. Because he realized he had everything, but he didn't have to possess anything anymore. Life was never the same for this, this man. Because he went through this incredible test of God saying, let it all go. It, you don't, none, of it, none of it belongs to you. One of my favorite books is a book called Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And favorite chapter in my favorite book is chapter two, and it's called The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. 
And what Tozer says is Abraham had everything, but he possessed nothing anymore. And it was that sense of he enjoyed everything God had given him, but no longer did he live life with any clenched fist around anything in his life. Because if he can let go of his fist around his most beloved, cherished thing, which was his son Isaac, he sees everything else in a whole different world now. It's like his whole vision has changed now about how to live life. So we don't see, you know, it doesn't show up in the text, but something's different now. All right, now, let's rewind once. I'm going to go back and read the text again, but there are a couple of phrases I want to highlight. We're going to look at one kind of phrase this week, another one next week. Because often when we read scripture, there's some of those things that kind of jump out and you kind of have to highlight it or let it bump out in 24 point font as you read it. So let's go back and read again and I've highlighted some things in yellow. That moment, angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him anyway. Now that you truly fear God, you have not withheld him from me. Is fearing God somehow equivalent to not withholding from God? You know, we, it's not like we're afraid of God, fearing God. You know, it talks about being a God-fearing person. Scripture talks about a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman or fearing God. It's not like cowering in fear, but there's some kind of awesome respect. And I'm just asking the question, if you or I want to be a person who fears God in a life-giving way, does that have something to do with the degree to which we do or do not withhold? Interesting there. Okay, next thing. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns, took the ram, sacrifices the burnt offering in a place of the sun. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Next we're going to look at that phrase. That will be next week. Because most of our hesitancy in doing those kind of things is we're not sure if God is going to provide. I better hold on to that quarter because what if God doesn't come through? At least I can buy, what, half a candy bar with that. I mean, when I was a kid, you could buy two bottles of pop with that, all right? Um, but it, so how do I know that God will provide? Because that usually is our fear. If, we, if, God, if God had the provision right in our eyesight right in front of us, we'd have no problem laying down that quarter and walking and getting what he has for us. But we can't see it. And faith, according to Hebrews 11, is, is being able to live in the confidence of what you can't see yet. We hate that word yet. We want God to reveal it sooner, all right? Next one. Now this, uh, we need to connect back to the first slide here. Angel of the Lord called again from Abraham from heaven. All right, he already said Abraham once. This is what the Lord says, because you obeyed me and have not withheld. That phrase shows up twice in this short interaction. You have not withheld. Even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name, I will bless you. I will multiply your descendants. Your descendants will conquer the cities or enemies, and through the descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Well, that's a big domino. Because you didn't withhold things from me, Abraham, look at all that's going to happen. I'm going to bless you. You're going to conquer your enemies, and the, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And the question remains of what if Abraham wouldn't have done this? Would God have still fulfilled his promise to Abraham? How does that work? Can God still do anything through me in my life if I'm willing, if I still want to hold on to a few little toys? And the phrase I want to hang on to is this one. Go to the next slide. You have not withheld. 
I mean, it seems like, I mean, if, you know, how they have like the football hall of fame or baseball hall of fame, they have all these induction speeches. If someone was given an induction speech for Abraham, they'd have to title their speech, he didn't withhold. You know, Abraham was this, he was this and this, and he made a lot of stupid mistakes with Hagar and other things like that, and he lied sometimes, and he was human like the rest of us. You know what was great about Abraham? He didn't withhold anything from God. You have not withheld. That, that's, that was God's stamp on Abraham. You have not withheld. And because you have not withheld, through your descendants, the nations of the earth will be blessed. The world will change because of your obedience, Abraham. Because now I know, Abraham, you are moldable in my hands, and I can lead you and have you do whatever I want to have done through you to bring the goodness and the power and the blessing of God to the lives of other people who sometimes don't even want God in their lives. But now because you, Abraham, have made yourself a vessel open, I can do it because you have not withheld. It doesn't say because Abraham memorized a bunch of verses. It doesn't say because Abraham was a real religious person and didn't swear. It doesn't say that even that Abraham voted Republican. And that was the reason God was happy with him. God was happy, pleased, proud, impressed with Abraham because Abraham didn't withhold anything that God asked from him. All the other religious trappings we think somehow impress God that the Pharisees kind of bought into of, I look good, I sound good, I don't say bad things, I treat my... Family and wife decently, da da, da 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 We think those earn us favor with God, a kind of image management. What earns favor with God is, I have not withheld. Then when God asks for something, you're not going to live a closed-fisted life. And it's not because of, simply because of that, because he opens up blessing through us. And then you have the sense of, okay, are, is your heart this, or is your heart this? Open hands, closed fist. Um... There's really no middle ground. I mean, yeah, there's times where it takes us a while to kind of our fingers to kind of peel open. But it seems like what God loves and God uses men and women throughout Scripture and even boys and girls throughout Scripture are people who have this posture of their heart to God. And not this, you know, one closed, one open, both closed, whatever. Um, Another one of my favorite books, I have like 50 favorite books, by the way. Uh, it's a book by a guy named Henry Nouwen. He's uh, passed away about 15, 10 years ago. Dutch Catholic priest. He co- the book is called With Open Hands. And the whole point is, isn't that the nature of prayer and the nature of our relationship with God? Is How do we live open-handed with God? And stop saying, God, I'll follow you, but I have a couple conditional things that I want to hold on to my hand. So here's the question of the morning. Are you withholding anything from God? Is there anything you sense God has been prompting you about to get your attention about? That he's saying, I want you to step away from that. I want you to release that. I want you to give that away. I want you to put that behind you. Is there something that you are withholding from God? And you might think, well, I don't think there is. And that's probably legitimate. Are you willing to ask God if there's anything that he wants you to let go of? Well, I don't want to invite that from God. If God wants to tell me, I'll listen to it, but I'm not going to ask him, right? But what if you said to God, God, I I don't think there's anything I'm clutching on to that kind of defines my identity that I won't let go of. But God, if there is anything, would you show me? I guarantee you, God will be elated with that prayer from you, and he'll show you something. And it's not going to be showing, it's not like God's like, oh, I can't wait till that person asks me for that because I'm going to get them and take all the fun and joy out of their life because I am God, the cosmic killjoy. That's not what, 
but we often think that must be what God must be up to. Well, gosh, if God did that to Abraham, what's he going to ask me? You know? and, and we think of all those things that we might be. And my guess is there are some of you here right now that you know there's something that God keeps putting on your screen. Like no matter how many times you drag that icon to the trash box in your spiritual computer screen, the next morning when you flip on your heart, it's back there again. I was like, how does it get back there? God's trying to get your attention. Hey, let go of that. Let go of that. Let go of that. Let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. This box, this, I was going to wrap it and stuff like that, but I thought, you know, this is kind of how my life is sometimes. It's just, this is my stuff, all right? You have boxes of stuff. Stuff that becomes what your identity comes from. Stuff, and this is the box that we don't want God to open and look in. He can look at the rest of my house, all my closets, my everything. But this box, this is mine, and I'm going to keep it closed. Because I'm not sure what got messed with this box. So here's what's in this box. Number one, for some of us, my wallet's in this box. Not only my wallet, but my insurance cards. I'm not saying God wants you to cancel an insurance policy. State of Indiana, if you're driving a car, you can't do that anyway, so please don't. But my health insurance, my bank card. Wow, that's identity. That's security, isn't it? I mean, I've got, actually I have zero cash in here, so there's not much security there. But think about how much of your money and your financial security and all that you think, how much that is part of your self-made plan for security. And if God were to say to you, which he does say in the scripture, challenging his people, expecting his people in generous relief to, to tithe, 10%, give away. And they're like, well, I'm not, I'm not, that's something that God's already asked us to do. And again, it's not because God is like, has some kind of cash flow problem. It's because God knows there's something incredibly enlarging and, and energizing for your heart if you start letting go of those things. So for some of you, maybe your week needs to be spent praying with your wallet in your hand, starting with it clutch, because you know that's where your heart is, and then literally, literally sometimes praying and just say, God, I, I know this is where my heart is. I want it to be more like this, but you got to help me because I don't know how to let go of that. It scares me to death to let go of my financial plans or to, to try to figure out how to make sure my security is taken care of because, God, I'm not sure if you are always pull through for me. I mean, what would it be like to lay, you know, lay, your, lay your wallet on the altar, so to speak, and, and not withhold that? And if God were to say, okay, I want you to give this much to this person or that church or this ministry, and you're like, really? I mean, what about, I wanted to get a new Mac or a new computer. I want, well, that'll have to wait, God says, because I want you to give it away to this person or that church or that ministry. And then we start thinking, well, wait a minute, can I take this back now? I mean, can I take it off the altar? Or we, what I love to do is I, I put little strings on it. So if God really asks me too hard, I'll just yank it right off there. Oh, it fell down. Sorry, you know. Okay, uh, picture of my kids. Am I willing to say, you know, God, I love my kids. And I, you know, kind of like the Kastansky's daughter in, in Egypt right now. I want nothing to happen to them. But am I willing to say, you know, God, whatever you want for their lives is okay with me. And if God says, well, what if I want one of them to go through this for the sake of God getting greater glory? If what, what if I want one of them to move to Egypt or move to Africa because they, there's going to have an effect of the gospel there? Oh, I don't want, I, I'm going to be able to see them more often than that. But what, you know, am I willing to say whether it's pain 
suffering or just their own adventure? Am I willing to say, you know what, God, if that's what you need, I'll, I'll let go of that. Scares me to death because, you know, we all love to control, especially our kids. And all of our kids could tell us that, I'm sure. So, all right, what else have in here? Uh, this is my journal. Not a journal. I guess I call it a journal. Yeah, a journal, not a diary. Diaries are, doesn't sound too manly. It's a journal, all right? <laughs> Uh, I have a number of these, and I don't do it every day, but I have enough. Uh, this, is, this goes back a few years. But maybe in your story, like my story, there are situations or events or people who have hurt you, and for some reason, forgiveness or revenge or bitterness is something you cannot let go of. Because you're not sure if God's going to take care of that person in the way that your anger will. Maybe that's what you have to let go of. Maybe that's what you're withholding from God, is you're not letting go of that story, that person, and it may have been a very deep wound, but you're not letting go of that and saying, okay, it's yours now, God. You know, yours is, you are the God who's just. Vindication belongs to you, God, not me. And I'm not going to hold myself in this spiritual bondage to bitterness and anger and revenge anymore because of that. Now, those may be hard ones, too. You know, where you lay it down, because God may say, can you just give me that situation, that person? Can you give that to me? And we're like, well, I kind of like kind of the energy I get when I'm angry. It kind of gives me this weird sense of being alive. And you know what I'm talking about, those of you who struggle with anger or bitterness or lack of forgiveness. There's an energy that comes from holding on to those things. That's why we hold on to it. It feels good sometimes in a real sick kind of way. All right? Now, this, uh, this might hit close to home with some of you. I have a Starbucks cup. I'm not saying God wants you to give up coffee. But what I'm saying is, is there some habit or ritual in your life that you think is essential for your well-being on a regular daily basis that God may be saying, even for a period of time, even as we go into the period of Lent, where a lot of times historically people are willing to give things up, is there something that God might say, you know, I want you to give that up for a while. You're like, oh, I can't, I can't give that up. I mean, habits, I'm saying habits that maybe, they're not, they're, they're, they're neutral. They're not like sinful habits. I mean, there are habits, I'm sure, God, if you're in involved in a habit that is sinful, and I'll just specifically mention sexual immorality, that's a clear one God's asked you to give up. And if you're withholding that, then you are blocking the fall of the dominoes to be a blessing to you and to others. That's a clear habit you need to give up. But there's a lot of habits we have that aren't sinful, but they become to have an attachment to us that we think, I don't know, it seems like I'm putting way too much into that, or I'm spending way too much time watching movies, I'm spending way too much time doing this. All right, so there's some, maybe some habits that God's saying we let go of that. Now, there's also habits, and then I have a running shoe here. I can't run anymore, but I can bike. I like to bike. Okay, well, God surely can't be against my hobbies. I mean, it's good, it's physical. I mean, it's exercise. It's my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. He wants me to go to the YMCA as much as I can. Maybe. Maybe, maybe my physical fitness or that, maybe that's become an idol to me. I don't know. I'm not saying God wants us to be, you know, flat and, fat and slovenly and everything. But there's points in which sometimes our hobbies can become idols. And this is not, a, this is not an idol for me, but for some of you, maybe this thing. <laughs> All right? Maybe it's golf. Ouch, I hear from the crowd, all right? But, you know, so there's habits, but there's also hobbies that, that we think are life-giving to us, and if God were to even say for a period of time, 
hey, give that up for a phase of time. Not that God is anti-joy, but he's anti-idolatry. And if there's something that you, good rule of thumb, if it's something that would be really, really hard for you to give up, that's a hobby or a habit that's not sinful, it's probably a good idea to at least ask God if you need to take a break from that for a while. Because the harder it is for you to give up, the more it's closer to becoming an idol deal that gives you life, that gives you meaning, that gives you the energy you think it takes to get through the day or the week. All right? Uh, last thing I have in here, and there's the other thing I have, I have a diploma. I could not find my college or my graduate school diploma. I found my high school one, which frankly doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Probably not to you either. But it's indicative of some of us, our identities are wrapped up in our, 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 our uh, you know, the letters and stars and bars after your name. And Paul in the New Testament said, I, I consider this kind of stuff rubbish anymore. And Paul had all kinds of pedigrees because of his family, because of his job background, because of his education. And God was saying, you know what, can you, can you let go of that? Can you stop letting that be the source of your identity? You know, the letters after your name or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of things. I might, you know, my checkbook's in here, and my car keys are in here, and my house key's in here. There's all kinds of things that God might say, you know, can I have those? And you're like, well, I need to drive, God. I need to get places. I know, but can I have that? Can you use that for this reason and not that reason anymore? And again, um, are you willing to hold on to those, or are you, are you going to withhold from God? Because you, when you know it's God, you know it's God. You know God's saying, I want you to give that up for a period of time. I mean, I remember, and, and maybe for you, literally, you need to spend time this week with your wallet in your hand, with your checkbook in your hand, with a Starbucks cup in your hand, with a golf ball in your hand, with a journal in your hand, with a picture of someone that's hurt you deeply in your hand. When I, before my wife and I were married, I had her uh, wedding ring, engagement ring. And uh, long story short, the first time I asked her, she didn't say yes or no. She said, I can't say either, whatever that means. I'll film that story some other time. (laughs) But I remember, yeah, it wasn't funny for me. (laughs) Let me tell you that right now. (laughs) I remember I was living in Huntington, Indiana at the time, and I can remember... I'm not going to ask her to take it off. I'll take my ring off. I can remember praying in my apartment with Kathy's ring in my hand saying, God, I, you, know, you know what I want with this ring. You know I want Kathy to say I do. You know there's nothing more I want right now relationally than to marry her. But God, I, I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm not going to demand it of you, but I'm telling you it's what I want. I think it's, I think it's good to tell God what we want. We should. He wants to hear your desires. And it was interesting because even as I was praying, I felt my fingers kind of, literally, kind of like, well, uh, just in case God doesn't give me the answer I want, I think I better put a little bit of closure on it. And sometimes I would just kind of, okay, God, I mean, literally, I would sit there, okay, God, I, help me. Help me in my unbelief. All right? Um, think of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Father, you can do all things. Take this cup from me. So he was basically expressing desire. I don't want what's heading down the pike for me on the cross. But then more important than anything else, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And you could see in that prayer, Jesus' hands kind of, nevertheless, not my hand, not my, my, my will, but your will be done. And uh, we'll close with this. Go to the next slide. 
Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 says this to us, to his disciples, but to us, his disciples of the day. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And the word save is kind of the sense of whole, alive. That's the kind of person you will become if you give it up. And what you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? Again, Jesus is not trying to take away joy from your life. He's trying to give you a greater joy, a longer lasting and a deeper joy that sometimes our toys, our toys, not sometimes, our toys cannot give us. And sometimes we give those things up and God gives them right back to us again. But just like Abraham, the story's a whole lot different now. We look at all those things different now because we possess uh, we don't, have, we don't own anything anymore, and we're not possessed by anything anymore. But we have stuff. God gives us stuff. Families, marriages, kids. Some of you have really good bank accounts. Some of you don't. Some of you have really to get great, great amounts of joy from certain hobbies you have. And some of you, those are not bad things, but just make sure that they're not things that you're doing this with, with God. And then hopefully God will give a little bit of joy when he can. But if, in case God doesn't pull through, in case... Jehovah Jireh is not true. In case God doesn't provide, I will take matters into my own hands to, to at least assure some degree of my own survival, joy-wise. So again, the question just comes back to, is there anything you're withholding from God? Maybe that's the question. Next week, we're going to be looking at the statement, uh, the Lord provides. Because again, that for most of us, that's the fear of letting go. Does the Lord provide? All right? Let me pray. God, we uh, thank you for Abraham. Thank you for the way in which, uh, thank you for his courage. Thank you for his humanity. Thank you for his um, example to us of uh, what it means to have faith. Not a shallow faith, but a faith that leads to life, blessing, and abundance, not just for us, but through us to others. That's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be people who are willing to uh, save our lives and not lose it because we're clinging and grasping and clenching. And Jesus, we believe uh, that you came as kind of the final model sent from God, being God, to show us that that kind of living, letting go for the sake of greater joy and greater glory is the path that you ask us to take. So God, I pray for each one of us here. I pray for increased joy in our lives. I pray for abundant joy in our lives. But I also pray for the courage for us to walk the path to that kind of joy in the path that you set before us, not in a path that we think will work better. So if there's anything that we're withholding from you, that you want us to let go of for a period of time or for a long period of time, would you, would you show us this week? And then would you give us the grace and the courage 
to open up our tightly clenched hands and then receive back to you uh, many times over the joy that you want to give us. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We, uh, at Exodus, we take communion at the end of every service, so if you're new here, um, what we do is, and again, it's, let me do this. If the people come up, whoever's serving communion, come on up, because here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. Same thing, we, we, when you take communion, we, uh, we'll just come up, you don't, we don't dismiss by rows, all right? And um, the band will start playing, you're just welcome to come up. When you come up for communion today, I want you to put your hands like this, all right? If you're Catholic or Episcopal, maybe that's a habit of yours anyway. And I want the people serving the bread to tear off a piece and put it in your hand. Because I want you to approach God with your hands wide open. Not in control of how big a piece you get, but I want you to trust that the hands of God will give you what you need. All right? So that'll feel awkward, and if you mess up and you tear it, nobody's going to throw a penalty flag or blow a whistle at you. But I'm just saying, let's come this way, and then when you take it, then you go ahead and dip it, dip it in the cup. That's how we do it, actually. We dip it. So most people eat it right here. Some people wait till they sit down and eat it. Either way is fine with us. In the meantime, in the room on the side over there, uh, it's labeled prayer. There are people over there to pray for you. Anybody who wants to go back there, so you can go back there during the songs. We have two songs we sing, so if you want to gauge your timing on that. And people will basically ask you, is there, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And they'll pray for you. So again, come on up. When we, once we start singing, uh, open your hands to the life of Jesus and trust that someone will put something there that will sustain you. All right? God, uh, thank you, Jesus, for your life. Thank you that you do provide and that you, uh, you never don't show up on time. And we're grateful. Amen.
dismissed. Before we're dismissed, I want to have a word of prayer. Uh, if you're able to help us, we're going to take the chairs down after, after I say prayer and stack them over there on that wall. So if you're able to help us, that would be great. You know, one of the great things I love about Exodus is because we meet in a rented gymnasium, it's kind of a weekly reminder that the church is not a building. The church is a, us. The church is a group of people. So as we walk out, we don't leave church. We are the church going out into the world. All right, let's pray now. Father, I thank you for Matt's words today. And uh, Father, may you really convict us this week of um, anything that we're holding on to. Because if we're holding on to anything, then we're really robbing ourselves of of what you want to do and and the great blessings that you want to pour out in our lives. So help us to be willing to ask ourselves this week, God, um, what are we holding on to? And whatever it is, why and would we be willing, if you ask us to, to release it to you? Because we know that you are a big God, a powerful God that is able to take those things and you're not going to withhold anything from us. But Father, you want to bless our lives in an amazing way. So as we go out these doors, down these steps, back to home, work, and school this week, may we just reflect who Christ is in a relevant way to this world. It's in Jesus' name we say this prayer. Amen. Enjoy your weekend.